we were remembering Debbie and her passing, it was a joyful time. It really was a joyful time to remember her life and to remember her testimony and her faith and her commitment to the things of God. I'd ask for a couple of prayers while we're getting started here. Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 2 while you're turning there. Some of you might be, uh, might know John Glock. John Glock was a, was a professor at Emmaus for a number of years. His father was a professor there before him. And John now works for uh, Stewart's um, Foundation or Stewart's Ministries, I believe he works for. Well, he was not teaching a conference and on his way home from the conference, he ended up contracting COVID, I assume, at the conference, then the new variant, and he ended up not ever getting home. He ended up in a hospital in Kentucky on his way back to Dubuque, and he was in very critical condition. The last word I heard uh, yesterday was that he was showing some improvement, so your prayers for John Glock would be much appreciated. Some of you have been praying for Erica. Erica was a girl that our daughter knows from the assembly there in Arbor Oaks who disappeared a few days ago. And uh, she has been recovered. So praise the Lord for that. She was gone for two days. I can't imagine what that would be like for a parent. But uh, that 13-year-old girl has been recovered, and we're thankful for that. One more thanks and praise. It was a good good week for thanking and praising God this week. Uh, some of you have been praying for our daughter and Larry Keating and for their kids who are, had, were both accepted into Wheaton Academy. Now they had a rather large bill to pay, of which they did not know where that was going to come, and they were just trusting the Lord. Well, yesterday we heard that they got a rather large scholarship for both the kids, and so the Lord has answered that prayer as well. So we're very, very thankful for what the Lord is doing. Turn with me to Romans again, Romans chapter 2. I want to read a few verses here to get us started. Romans 2, let's start in verse 12. Of course, we're cutting into this portion, and most of you are aware of this portion. I've read and studied it many times. We're using it for context's sake, for our, our continuation of our series. Verse 12, For as many have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, though not having the law, are law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and uh, between themselves and, and their thoughts, accusing or excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest in the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law, and are confident that yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Therefore, you who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? For the name of God, verse 24, is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Chapter 3, please. Verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew, or what profit is it in circumcision much in every way? Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Would their unbelief make the faith, make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, and every man 
a liar. And then down to verse 19. For we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now a righteousness apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even a righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of this portion of His Word. Let's pray. Father, we commit this morning hour to Your care. We ask for the guidance of Your Spirit. We ask that You would teach us, that we would learn those things which You would have us to learn today, and may it be for Your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been on a bit of a journey, and that journey is... The journey has been watching the footsteps of God move through history and time. Watching the footsteps of God and the purpose and plan of God from the beginning of time, from the beginning of the creation, in the time of innocence, all the way down through the ages. Moving down through the ages, (coughs) He's revealing His plan and His purposes to men. And we have been watching Him move. He had a plan and a purpose, and He's moving forward in His purpose, showing us in the progressive revelation of Himself and the progressive revelation of His plan and purpose, He was teaching men and training men and preparing men for the solution to their problem, which was the seed that was to come in the Messiah who was to come. We have looked through innocence, conscience, human government, and promise. These three administrations, or these three stewardships that God gave to man. We saw how God gave them to them. We saw their responsibilities in them. We saw their failures in them. And we saw God move on past these things as He was preparing men and women for the coming of the Messiah. We still have three to go. And that's our purpose today, is to try and get through all three of these. Thank you, Greg, for giving us a few extra, giving me a few extra minutes. And thank you for five minutes that you were early last week that you gave to me. So I appreciate that as well. So, Israel. They entered into the covenants. We're going to talk for just a minute about Israel before we look at the dispensation of law. Because this is one of those points that is extremely important for us to grasp. It is a point that is very important for us to comprehend. Entrance into the covenants by the Jew was by physical birth. They were born into the nation. They were born into the promises. They were born into the covenants. It wasn't by spiritual birth. It was by physical birth that they were born into the nation and became Jews. To them was given the adoption and the glory, 
and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God, Paul would write in chapter 15 of Romans. All of these things were given to the Jew by birth, by right, simply by being born into the chosen people of God. They went down into Egypt as a family. Following the promises of God that we looked at last week, they went down into Egypt as a family. A rather large family, but a family. They came out of Egypt at the time of Passover as a mighty nation of over two million strong. They came out as a nation. The Passover lamb delivered them physically, individually, by family, delivered them from the, from the uh, angel of death and brought them out. But it was a picture of another lamb. It was a picture of another lamb who would come and redeem them forever as a nation and redeem them forever individually in a time to come. The dispensation of law. Now let's look at the elements of this dispensation. And I'm, I'm moving through rather rapidly, and I know because I have to do so, which means we're not going to be able to linger on some of the finer points here, which are important points and are points that you need to research and, and discover through the Word of God. But these are important points that we won't be able to linger on. It was given to law, uh, given to the people of Israel. The law was given to Moses and the people at Sinai. The law was never given to the Gentiles. And we got to understand that this morning. We were never under law. The Gentiles were never under law. Israel was placed under law. The Gentile nations, the Gentiles, you and I, were never placed under law. From Sinai to the death of Christ is the duration of this dispensation. From the time Moses went up and received the law, not only the moral law and the civil law and the judgments that he, he received on Mount Sinai and he brought down to the people, from that beginning, God gave to them the law which was to govern their life, govern their actions, govern the way in which they lived their lives before a holy God. And that duration of it was from that point all the way through to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ and to the day of Pentecost when the new dispensation began. The responsibility was to keep the whole law. That's a pretty stiff order, isn't it? Keep the whole law. Did God know they weren't going to be able to keep the whole law? Oh yeah, He did. He knew that they would fail. He knew that this was the standard of holiness, which was a picture of His own holiness and His own standard, His own rule. But their responsibility was to keep the whole law. The failure was the law was broken. And it was broken multiple times. It was broken before before it even got started when they when Moses came down from, from the mountain and they were worshiping a golden calf. They continually broke the law. They continually broke the law. The judgment. 
The judgment that would fall on them for breaking the law would be worldwide distribution. Because the law had blessings and curses. And you can read about that in Exodus. You can read about it in Deuteronomy. They, they, they contained blessings. If you keep the law, if you do these things, this is what I will do. I will bless you. It's a conditional covenant. If you do these things, I will bless you in this way. If you do not do them, I will curse you. And one of those curses is that I will bring nations against you. And I will scatter you throughout the world. And then the refusal to obey, the refusal to follow the Lord, Israel went into captivity. And later on, Judah went into captivity, into Babylon. Because they worshipped idols. The interesting thing about Babylon, the, the, the captivity of Babylon for Judah and Benjamin, for the southern kingdom, was that when they came out from Babylon, they never again disobeyed the law. And, you know, we, we realized that they all failed, that they all made mistakes, they all sinned, but they never again worshipped idols. Never again did they worship an idol. They had learned their lesson. Never again did they worship an idol. But there was failure. Grace, the promised Savior, is sent. He promised them a Savior. He promised them a Messiah. He promised one who would come all the way back from the seed of the woman, all the way down through the promises made to Abraham, all the way down through the law and through the sacrificial system. He was promising them a seed that would come and the blood of this one would cover them. Salvation for them was never through law-keeping. Some people misunderstand that. It wasn't as if God said, if you can just keep this, you'll be saved. You could never keep it, and you can never be saved by works. That is a doctrine that follows all the way through Scripture. No one is ever saved by their good works. No one is ever going to get to heaven. They're going to lay the good works on one side and the evil stuff on the other side and see how it balances out. Because you're never saved by works. I don't care how good you are. There's some fine people in this world. But they cannot be saved by their good works. And Israel was not saved by keeping the law. It was their tutor to lead them to Christ. It was their tutor to show them to realize that they could not keep the law. But there was one who would. There was one who would save them. It was to govern their lives. The law was given to govern their lives as a theocracy. God was their king. God was their sovereign. And they were to follow their sovereign. And this was the law that was laid out for them. As a rule of life, the law was given only to the nation of Israel and the death of Christ ended this dispensation. The coming of Pentecost. What are the carryovers? The law principles. They carry over. Both the civil laws and the moral law and the judgments carry over from the law, from the dispensation of the law. We'll look at that more in just a moment. Israel's responsibility to keep the law has continued. God never rescinded to Israel the law. 
Now, when an Israelite, and we'll see this in a little bit, when an Israelite came, comes to Christ, he is no longer under the law. He is set free from the law. And he becomes a part of the church, which is made up of Jews and Gentiles. It's a new thing that God has created, as we'll see. Grace in that salvation was never by the law. It was always by faith. Salvation is always by faith. What were the changes? Approach to God, not through animal sacrifices, but through the blood of Christ. An important point to make. Israel had the law. God knew Israel would fail. Because no one can keep the law. No one can keep it in its perfection. Not only the Decalogue, but all the other laws that go along with it. And so He offered a sacrificial system for them. He gave them a sacrificial system whereby their sin could be covered over for the season. If they were obedient and by faith, not simply by, by uh, liturgy, not simply by following rules, but those who had a heart for God to follow His law and come with a sacrifice for their sin, for their transgressions, on the Day of Atonement, when the sins of the nation were covered, they were covered. That's what atonement means, to cover and their sins would be covered. We read in Romans how it was just for a season until the promised seed came. He overlooked those sins because of the blood of all the countless sacrifices down through the ears. Because He knew that all of those blood sacrifices were pointing to the final sacrifice in His Son. The Jews looked forward to the coming of Messiah They're saved by the blood of Christ that was shed. For them it was yet future. For us we look back to it. But all are saved by the same blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. All are saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Approach to God. You remember... That at this period of time, when God gave the law, He also gave them the tabernacle. And in that tabernacle there, He, this tent was set up. The tabernacle was set up in the midst of His people. And all the people by tribe gathered around that center. And they had approach to God. They could come to the door of the tabernacle. They could bring a sacrifice. And by means of that sacrifice, the priest could enter in and intercede on their behalf. Always by sacrifice. God was in the center of His people. God was in the center of His people. But now, now, approach is made through the blood of Christ. No blood, no altar now. The sacrifice is over. It's over. All the blood shed on all the altars, all the blood shed on that brazen altar during the time of law, All of it fulfilled in the blood of the Son of God. And now we approach Him through that precious blood. I have access into His presence. 
because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What are some of the changes? Whoop, did I, did I miss it there? Changes, approach to God. Here we go. Moral principles of the law in the church age. Now, I put this in here. We're going to run through these really quickly. But I wanted to show you that God's law, especially when we're, when we're going to be just looking at the Decalogue, and not the civil law as it, as it pertains, but more or less the moral law of God in the, in the Ten Commandments, God just simply didn't say, you know, let's throw those away. They're, they're not good anymore. We don't need them anymore. Let's throw them away. He didn't do that. Because you find them all in the New Testament, with the exception of one. You find them in the New Testament. And I wanted to give you some examples of this to make it clear. The law said, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? Grace says, we preach unto you that you should turn from idols and serve the living God. Same teaching, same principle. The law says, you shall not make unto yourself any graven image. Grace says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Same principle, isn't it? It's the same teaching. The law says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Grace says, swear not by heaven, nor by earth, nor by any oath. The law said, honor your father and mother. Grace says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for it is right. You see, this that hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. These truths are still the same. You should not kill. Grace says whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John would write. The law says you should not commit adultery. Grace said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither adulterers? You see, the principles are there. The law says you should not steal. Grace says steal no more in Ephesians. The law says you should not bear false witness. Grace says lie not. The law says you shall not covet. Grace says let not covetous even be named among you. So you see what I'm saying? Within the law, there are things that carry over. You are not saved by law keeping, nor were they saved by law keeping. They were saved by faith. Faith in the, in the sacrifices that they would offer because those sacrifices pointed ahead to a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The church and Israel are two separate entities in the plan of God. Responsibilities in Revelation. Now we move into the dispensation of the church. Moving into this next movement of God. The church is composed of Jews and Gentiles alike, entered not by physical birth, but by spiritual birth. We are born again. Whether you're Gentile or a Jew, you receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, believe in the finished work that He accomplished at Calvary, and you are made by baptism of the Spirit into a member of the body of Christ. And you become His. You become a member of the church. A member of the body of Christ by spiritual birth. All believers 
All believers in Christ have become priests. You no longer have an exclusive group as you did under the law. Out of the Levites and out of the sons of Aaron, where you had an exclusive group of people who could enter in and intercede for you in the presence of God by the sacrifices that they would make. Now you all are. All of you are priests. Isn't that wonderful? It is a wonderful truth of the Word of God. We are all priests. We are a holy nation, as it were. Those who now have access by the blood of Christ directly into the presence of Almighty God. My friend, don't forget how wonderful that blessing is. We take it for granted so often because we've had it for so long. Don't forget what it cost to give you access into the presence of God. And we have become a kingdom of priests unto our God. It is what He desired at first for Israel, that they would become a kingdom of priests. Because of their failure, He selected one group, and now in the church we are all a kingdom of priests. It's a wonderful truth. It's duration from Pentecost until the rapture of the church. This dispensation will run now from the rapture, I mean from the from now until the rapture of the church, from Pentecost to the rapture. Now, when that rapture will take place, we do not know. We have no idea. This is where you get into all the different rapture theories and you get into all the different philosophies and ideas of men as to when the rapture will take place. But I'll tell you this, that if you, if you look at the Scripture literally, grammatically, historically, you will come to the conclusion, as I have and many of you have, that the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation. That's why I'm a pre-tribulation rapturist. I believe that the church will be raptured before the terrible coming of the tribulation time. The church mentioned again at the return in chapter 19 of Revelation. So all that time during this seven years of tribulation, which we'll look at, all that time the church is in heaven. And then when Christ returns, we return with Him at the second literal coming to the earth. Responsibilities. What are the responsibilities given to the church? Now these things, I'm, again, we're, we're running through things very rapidly, and I almost hate to do that, but we have no choice, as it were. What responsibilities has Christ given to you and to me? What are our responsibilities within the body of Christ? As the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, what are our responsibilities? One is to be perfected by sanctification. One is to be perfected by sanctification. By yielding ourselves to the working of the Spirit of God within us that we would continually be separated from the world, the flesh and the devil, continually being separated unto God in this life. None of us will reach Full sanctification, ultimate sanctification, until Christ comes and takes us home. But it is our responsibility to be living holy lives before Him as His people. How are we doing? How are we doing? What are the things that distract us from this goal? 
What are the things that move us away from this goal? Secondly, we are to be loving one another. When you think about it, my brothers and sisters, think about the church. Think about it at its beginning, at its core. And as it moved down through the ages, and the divisions, and the schisms, and the denominations, and all that came out from a call to unity to be one in Christ. Look at where we've gone. But yet, the call is still to you and the call is still to me to love one another. Love one another. As He has loved you, love one another. Don't be hateful to your brothers and sisters from different groups and different denominations. If they are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're your brother and they're your sister. And we are called to love them. We might disagree with them, and that's fine. We can disagree. We can disagree. But we are called to love. Love them. Your brothers and sisters. A failure, a lack of maturity, worldliness, apostasy. This is where the church has failed. The church has become worldly. Even in my lifetime, which is brief, I'm nowhere near as old as some others in this room. But even in my life, which is brief, I have seen a shift in the way men and women do church. It has moved away. It has become entertainment-based. It has become... It has become that which does no longer reflect the will and purpose of the Messiah of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've shifted. We've gone the way of the world. We have become, I'm not talking we, but the church in general, we have become Laodicean. We've become like Ephesus who've lost their first love. We've become like like Laodicea, that is neither hot nor cold. And what does he say about the ones who are, who are neither hot nor cold? He says, I spew you out of my mouth. You're distasteful to me. You have so much of the world in you that I cannot see my son. You have so much of the world in you that I no longer see you as set apart. Of course, he sees you in his son. <laughs> I don't, I don't want somebody to come back at me later on and say, you said he didn't. Of course he sees you if you're his. But you understand my point. We have allowed so much of the world in us. We lack maturity. We lack depth. Because we have not allowed the Spirit of God to work in our lives. We have not spent the time in study. We have not spent the time in prayer. We have not spent the time walking with Him. And we lack maturity. And understanding. I remember, and I, I got a little bit of time. Because I still have Greg's five minutes and I still got five minutes. Here. I remember one time, and I won't discuss who or where, I went to visit a, a believer in a, and I've shared this here, I'm sure, before. I went to believe a, uh, visit a believer in the hospital who had been a member, a member, been a, a part of the assembly. For, for many, many years, 20 plus years. And I went in, and as I went in, I looked, and he was watching 
a program on the television. It was Benny Hinn. And I looked at it and I looked at him and I said, I wouldn't trust that man as far as I could throw him. He said, well, he's talking about Jesus. It doesn't matter. Do you see the lack of maturity? Even in one who sat in the same seats that you're sitting in and never got a grasp of the responsibility he has before God? To walk in a way that is worthy? To not be deceived? Grace. Forgiveness of sins through the finished work of Christ. Oh, my brothers and sisters, aren't you thankful for grace? Aren't you thankful that even though I sin today and will sin again throughout the day and will sin again tomorrow, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and the blood of Christ cleanses us. His blood, He said before that verse, He said the blood of Jesus Christ is continually cleansing us from all sin. Our position is never in jeopardy. Our standing is never in jeopardy because His blood is continually cleansing us from all sin. So why bother? Why don't I just enjoy the world? He who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in Him. The love of the Father is not in Him. We have forgiveness through the finished work of Christ. The church age. I'm going to take a few moments here. The church is a new work of God. This needs to be emphasized. This is where we separate, we diverge from some of our other uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord who have a different track, who have a different philosophy or theology concerning some of these things. It is a new work of God. The church is not Israel. It did not take on Israel's blessings. It did not take on the promises of God to Israel. The church is not the fulfillment of Israel. And there's reasons for that. We'll look at a couple of them. But the church is not Israel. And that is an important point to grasp. God has made promises to Israel. And He has not yet fulfilled all of those promises. We saw last time that promise of the land that was given. And back in the centuries past when theologians were working through all of these things, it seemed as though it would be impossible, impossible, impossible that Israel could ever become a nation again. So we have to figure this out some other way. We have to figure it out some other way. Israel won't become a nation again. That's, that's quite clear. They've been dispersed throughout the nations. So God is going to fulfill all those promises within the church. That's a nice little package. The problem is Israel, they become a nation again. And God's promises are still yea and amen. Daniel's prophecy spoke of 70 weeks that are determined upon my people and my holy city. And that prophecy has not yet been totally fulfilled. There's one week left of that prophecy that has never been fulfilled. And notice how he said, it's important to notice, I think. You may disagree, and that's okay. You're probably wrong. But, what, but when it says the prophecy says, it is determined upon my people and my holy city. 
Israel came back as a nation, given the land back in 48. And in 62, I think it was, they took Jerusalem back. And Jerusalem is now the capital, the recognized capital by the United States, the recognized capital of Israel. Do you see the significance of that? Seventy weeks are determined upon my people and my holy city. Time is moving forward. It is moving forward. The church has not taken over, in my humble opinion, the promises that are made to Israel. The church was a mystery in the Old Testament. Something unknown, not seen in the Old Testament. It was made known by revelation, Paul will tell us in Ephesians. In other ages, it was not made known, he says in Ephesians. The mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. God knew what His plan was. God knew what His purpose would be. God knew that although He chose a man, and although from that man He made a nation, and although through that nation He was going to bring the Messiah, and through that nation... That Christ was going to be born in the flesh and He was going to offer Himself for the sins of the world, be crucified and shed His blood. Although God knew all of those things going down, He also had a purpose and plan for all the world that through Abraham all the world would be blessed. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And He ascended on high. And the Spirit came down at Pentecost and filled and began the church. A new work of God. Israel has been set aside, but not forever. Israel has been set aside, but not forever. Now, salvation comes through Christ. Whether you're a Jew or a Greek, salvation comes through placing your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was kept a secret since the world began, Romans 16 tells us. Hid from the ages and from generations, Colossians tells us. The church is made up of Jews and Gentiles who have experienced God's saving grace through the Lord Jesus, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. This is good stuff, man. The church age, God's promises to Israel have not been set aside. God's promises to Israel are not fulfilled in the church. There is one week of Daniel, 70 weeks to be fulfilled, the tribulation that is to come. There are seven weeks, seven years of tribulation yet to come when God will pour out His wrath. And during that time of the pouring out of God's wrath, many, many will come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. But they will not be part of the church. They will be part now of Israel and the promises made to Israel and to the promises made for the kingdom that was to come. Part of the promises made for the kingdom that is to come. The church will be removed and then God will continue His program for Israel. And that is yet to come. I do not believe, I do not believe that the Scriptures teach that the church will fulfill the millennial. That in other words, there's no millennial. 
reign of Christ. There's no millennial to come. It is all being fulfilled now. And the church will usher in this wonderful, wonderful reign of Christ in the hearts and minds of men. I haven't seen that happening. The dispensation to be followed by seven years of tribulation. The last week of Daniel's prophecy. The day of the Lord. A time of judgment. The time of Jacob's trouble. Those those last three and a half years, the time of Jacob's trouble, when the wrath of God will be poured out and the people will, the nations of the world will attack Israel, seeking to destroy Israel. And many will be saved. You see, I get ahead of myself. I'm supposed to be on these slides now. That ends this period of time. This tribulation time ends with the second coming of Christ. His second advent when He comes in power and glory with the church and defeats all the enemies of Israel by His mighty power. And He sets up a kingdom. He sets up a kingdom. The millennial reign of Christ becomes the next dispensation. To whom is it? To the resurrected Old Testament saints. They are part of this millennial reign. To the glorified church saints, they are part of this millennial reign. To the tribulation saints, they are part of this millennial reign of Christ. So it includes all the redeemed of every age, of every dispensation, who had placed their faith and trust in God, and the promise of the Messiah will be a part of this reign of Christ. But not simply by physical birth. For all Israel is not Israel. For those who had placed their faith in God. Time frame from the second coming of Christ to the earth until the final rebellion, a period of 1,000 years. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I'm going to be there. You going to join me? You want to be with me there? It's going to be a wonderful time. There's, some, there's a lot of interesting things that go on during this time that we don't have time to get into. But there will be a time when Jesus Christ reigns over this earth for a thousand years. And then there will be another final rebellion. Satan will be loosed from the pit. And he will be able to, even in a world that has been governed by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, he will be able to gather an army of rebellious people to go against the Christ and against His kingdom. And God will not send out an army He will call down fire from heaven and destroy them. And it will end. The millennial reign of Christ will end. Responsibility to be obedient. This is the responsibilities of those in the millennium now. To be obedient, remain undefiled, and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Failure. Satan is loosened from the pit. And sinful men follow him in one last rebellion against Christ. The judgment, fire comes down from heaven and destroys them. The great white throne judgment will take place. And all the dead, both great and small, will stand before him. And Hades will be opened up. And all the dead who died without Christ, their faith in in the Savior to come, will stand before the great white throne. And the books will be opened. And they will be cast into the lake of fire. Hades itself will be cast into the lake of fire.
Satan and his rebellious angels we cast away to the lake of fire and brimstone. They call this the second death because it's the first death and when you die physically or when you've died spiritually. But then there's going to be a day when all the bodies of all the dead who died previously without God, without Christ, will stand in resurrected bodies before the great white throne and will be cast into the lake of fire forever. The second death from which there is no escape. The dead, great and small, cast into the lake of fire. Then the earth will melt with a fervent heat and be no more. Grace, all things made new. A new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will permanently dwell. Oh, I love that verse. Where righteousness will permanently dwell. In the new heaven and the new earth that is to come, there will no longer be sin. I will no longer be able to sin. And righteousness will dwell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The eternal state to come. Time is no more. God has worked His plan down through the ages, through the different dispensations of time, and all of us who are I was thinking of these verses this morning. It, you know, we're told by Peter that having not seen him, we love him. And I was thinking of these verses in 1 John, and I'll end with these. John writing says this. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was in the Father, and was manifest to Him. Having not, I, having not seen Him, I love Him. But one day, I will see Him, and I will look upon Him, and I will handle Him. The Word of life, I will touch Him. I will look into His face. The One who saved me by His grace. One day, this experience will be yours. This experience will be mine. And I can only imagine. I won't sing the song. (laughs) Father, we are so very thankful to You for Your grace that has been demonstrated down through the epochs of time. All the way down through the time in which we live and even into the future. Your grace has always been there. Your desire was to save man from destruction and ruin. And you work down through the ages, down through different administrations and different stewardships to bring us to Christ. Father, we are thankful that we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Your Son. And that we do have an inheritance. And we will be with You forever and ever, world without end. 
We give you praise in his name. Amen.